This is Mick, and you are listening to the Trip Radio Podcast. I am here with drummer and soundtrack extraordinaire, Joe Wong. You grew up in Milwaukee and um, sort of came up in that scene. It's, it's cool to... Um, just sort of think about sort of these uh, all these sort of older influences that inspired artists, you know, in the area of the country that you, you know, initially came from and, you know, that I'm from as well. You know, just how a lot of these sounds kind of survive in, in your current work. Um, and I'm thinking of sort of the psychedelic influence in the soundtrack work that you did for uh, Russian Doll and then also in uh, the most recent series, Midnight Gospel. How did you how did you end up working on that project? The Midnight Gospel was co-created by Duncan Trussell and Pendleton Ward. And Pendleton previously created a very popular series called Adventure Time. And um, Pendleton and I were became friends shortly after I moved to California. And um, he thought that I might be a good fit for this project and brought me in to meet with Duncan, whom I hadn't met before. We hit it off right away. I think the fact that both of us have podcasts and that we share lots of similar interests and that I understood many of his touchstones from music helped out a lot. He uh, comes from a lo-fi background and is a huge fan of artists like Daniel Johnston and of music made by cults like the Source family. And I don't know if you're familiar with, with that particular soundtrack, but it was released by the Chicago label Drag City. Anyway, we, we kind of bonded over the areas where our musical taste intersected. As it turned out, we, we've gone through, you know, lots of uh, sh- similar life experiences and, um, it just felt like the perfect project for me at the perfect time in my life. Yeah. It sounds, it sounds like it was very organic how, um, how you became involved. I had done two other shows with the same production company, mm. Titmouse. Those shows were Super Jail and Ballmasters. And um, so they were familiar with me. And then obviously the network, Netflix, was familiar with me because I had worked on shows like Master of None and Russian Doll. So it was easy for them to slot me in, luckily. And what was the writing process like for the songs on the soundtrack? A lot of them are pretty brief. It seems like you had to, had to be very efficient um, in the way that you were constructing them. Right. Well, for the songs that appear on screen that the characters in the show are actually singing, you know, I only write enough to match the picture because there's so much work to be done with the other cues and the other score that we don't have the luxury of writing full length songs. But lots of the songs were collaborations between Duncan and myself, and some were collaborations between Pendleton, Duncan and myself. And so they would have like a rough idea for the song. Sometimes they would have a basic melody and a rough lyric, and then I would just kind of help shape it. And then um, for the score, you know, I was thinking about the instruments that would be found on a lo-fi recording, whether it's a circuit bent Casio or like a broken Mellotron <laughs> or um, a drum kit with only one mic and, and tried to make the score, the instrumental score, match the aesthetic of the songs. I wanted it to feel like it could have been recorded inside of some sort of compound (laughs) in the 1980s or something, in a cult compound in the 80s. We recorded to tape lots of the time. 
And I tried to leave in imperfections whenever possible, which is harder than just sanding off the rough edges now in some ways. You know, ultimately, the, the function of the music for a television show is to support the story and to support the emotional needs of the show. So all of the kind of aesthetic choices that I just discussed are secondary mm. to that. So sometimes we would break into another world sonically if we needed to. In the last episode for um, Midnight Gospel, uh, we even get one of the singles from your new album, the song Dream Wash Away. Um, how did that song come together? And what is, is it, And is there any meaning behind the title and the lyrics for you? Yeah, Dreams Wash Away melodically came together when uh -huh. I was listening to lots of Brazilian music. And funnily enough, the song seems to be very popular in Brazil, uh, according to the streaming data that I'm hearing about from my record label. So I think it's actually, that's the most popular market for it. So that's interesting to me. The, yeah. So the guitar melody that, that you hear in the beginning came during a time when I was listening to lots of Brazilian music. And the lyric is kind of about the exploration that we, we are something beyond our physical manifestation and, and that we're something beyond our thoughts and our dreams and, um, our emotions and our identity, you know, all these things that we think of as our identity as human beings, thinking about, you know, whether or not there's something beyond that. And, um, it was written during a time when my, when I was, um, losing my dad slowly. He had had a stroke and he, he had been dying kind of slowly. Pieces of him had been going away. some of the other reference points for uh, Night Creatures. It has a very psychedelic vibe, and you're singing a lot on it, which I don't know that that's something that people really, really expect from you as, you know, primarily somebody who's known for their uh, soundtrack work, and then also as a drummer for bands like Parks and Labor and Marnie Cern, and then, you know, um, and other projects throughout the years. It's something I wanted to do for a long time, but I was too scared to do it. And I was asking myself how I'm able to write sometimes hundreds of hours of music in a year, but couldn't come up with my own album. And, and ultimately it's because making my own statement required a larger emotional investment and um, more vulnerability than I was comfortable with. So what I did was hire my good friend, Mary Timoney to produce. And that way I was accountable to somebody. I booked a studio and that way I had a deadline and then I could kind of treat it like any other scoring project, <laughs> uh, except I was the client now. <laughs> I also had some guest musicians, Mary Lattimore on harp. Mary is one of the most, she's probably the busiest <laughs> touring musician that I know. And she, she plays with everybody from Kurt Vile to Mac McCon to Meg Baird and has made several albums as a solo artist as well. 
And then on woodwinds, I had John Natchez, who also plays in The War on Drugs. And on one song, um, Steve Drozd from The Flaming Lips came in and did double drums with me and played a guitar solo. And then um, I worked with a great string arranger called Paul Cartwright, and we tracked like a 16-piece orchestra. And so uh, it, it was a big, <laughs> in the end, it was like a, a big group. your plans for promoting it uh if you can't tour if you can't sort of make live appearances luckily you know the first song on the album dreams wash away has been placed in the midnight gospel and i think i'm uniquely positioned to hopefully place some more songs in film and tv because i already work in that world and that's a good way of getting the word out you uh we we touched on the fact that you have a podcast the trap set um it started out as as a series of conversations with drummers, you're a drummer. That's, as I understand, your entry point into the music industry. Um, and you've talked to some, like a wide variety of artists from Rat Scabies to, um, you know, some people who, you know, I, I feel like nobody talks to, but they certainly should. Um, you know, Jeff Parker and Micaiah McCraven. What are your plans for that podcast going forward? Uh, it sounds like you've talked to, you know, basically all, all, all the Kit Kings. What's what's the next mountain for you? As you said, the first 200 episodes were all drummers. And then I've been having fun talking to non-drummer musicians over the next 100 episodes or so. We're coming up on 300. You know, the early the early white whale, and, and this was almost a joke, was that if we could get Phil Collins on the show, then we would know that we made it. And um, I, I'm, I happen to be a huge fan of Phil Collins and Rat Scabies. And I don't think that what Phil was doing and what the Damned were doing is really all that different in some ways. But uh, yeah, now the next person that I would, if I got this person, I would feel fine retiring the series would probably mm. be Kate Bush. Really? So final episode would be Kate Bush. That would be at your Everest. <laughs> <laughs> I would be okay. I mean, I... In practice, maybe I would keep doing it. Well, uh, Joe, this has been a really great conversation. Um, thank you for taking time out of your day to chat with me uh, for Chirp's audience. Um, yeah, and, uh, and to let us uh, give us a little bit of an insight into into your world and creative process uh, this has been nick for the trip radio podcast talking with joe wong he has a new album night creatures out on september 18th thanks again for your time today joe thank you you can find this and other chirp radio interviews and podcasts at chirpradio.org slash podcasts